There was this one time at meat camp when mommy and a bunch of other ladies learned how to butcher animals and set them on fire. I didn't set them on fire. I grilled meat. That's a big difference, Ollie. Sounds like the same to me. Here's the thing. I'm an adventurous cook in my own kitchen, and I know my way around all the wacky gadgets I stockpiled to make cooking easier, from electric pressure cookers to sous vide water ovens, and even my handy-dandy blowtorch. But strangely enough, the one cooking method that's always struck fear in my heart is grilling food over coals. There was always something intimidating about making a fire and cooking outdoors, something that felt uncontrolled and wild. Whenever we grilled, it was always Henry's job to do it. Well, that was the case until I spent the weekend at a women's-only meat camp. Yes, you heard that right. Meat camp. What is this magical retreat I speak of? Well, listen in as I tell you all about the stuff I learned, including how to build my own fire, butcher small animals, and grill like a champ. Because really, what's more paleo than throwing raw meat on an open flame? So gather around, everyone, as I tell you about how there was this one time at meat camp... Welcome to our program. This is the Nom Nom Paleo Show with Michelle Tam and Henry Fong and the Double O's. Join us as we go behind the scenes and reveal how we make a real food lifestyle fun, sustainable, and nomtastic. We're the food nerds behind Nom Nom Paleo, the award-winning food blog, app, and cookbook. And we're also the parents of two growing boys, Big O. Hello. And Lil Lo. Hello. Hi. Hi. Whatever. They're the reason we do what we do. What we ate! Hey boys, before mom gets into the main topic of the day, what did you eat recently that you want to talk about? Is it okay that I say I like crispy potatoes? Of course. Even though they were white potatoes? Totally. Even though this is a paleo podcast? The topic of potatoes does keep coming up over and over again. Judging from the comments on your Instagram feed, a lot of folks still believe that because Lauren Cordain's original paleo diet, capital P, capital D, with a little registered trademark symbol next to it, says that white potatoes are not allowed, that no self-respecting paleo eater should touch them. But I also know that we don't treat them that way. Do you want to explain, Michelle? Sure. The way I see it, paleo is a template that lets us discover the healthiest versions of ourselves. It doesn't mean paleo perfection or historical reenactment, and it's not static either. I've said it before, paleo is constantly evolving. When new information comes out, we should consider it and see if it's right for us, rather than just dismissing it out of hand because it doesn't fit someone else's definition of paleo. And frankly, some of us can incorporate more safe starches like potatoes and white rice into our diets, while others who are still looking to fix metabolic or other health issues may want to limit those foods for now. Just like how some folks can't tolerate dairy, while others do fine with high-quality, full-fat, or fermented dairy. I love milk. I drink it with a metal straw, and I can drink it really, really fast. Faster than Owen. Faster than anyone. Right, but other people, like your mom, don't handle unfermented dairy all that well. She's lactose intolerant, for instance. That means she farts a lot, right? <laughs> like this. <laughs> or like this. <laughs> <laughs> what? I don't know. <laughs> what? <laughs> I learned that by paying attention to how my body responds to different foods. Doing a dietary reset, like with a Whole30, has helped a lot of folks figure out what works best for them individually. 
That's why the point of the Whole30 is to start with a clean slate and then reintroduce foods to see what agrees with you. The aim is to eat as broadly as possible while still feeling great, not to restrict ourselves as much as possible. In the end, what's important is that you should do what's right for you. For us, we've determined that occasionally eating safe starches works great for our family. In fact, there's research that if you cook and then cool certain starches like potatoes and white rice, something called resistant starch develops, which helps feed the good bacteria in your microbiome. And these in turn produce short-chain fatty acids. And these short-chain fatty acids are beneficial to your colon and overall health. It can even help lower blood glucose levels and increase insulin sensitivity. So in short, we think potatoes are A-OK in our house. How do you like your potatoes cooked, Owen? I like basically any kind of potatoes. I like baked potatoes. I like smashed crispy roast potatoes. I like mashed potatoes. I like crunchy fries baked in the oven. You also make these thinly sliced crispy potatoes that are really good. Last week you made potato chips in the oven, and those are really crunchy and good with salmon. Potatoes have to be cooked the right way, though. Mashed potatoes have to be creamy and not chunky. That's exactly what I say. And potato salad can't be too mushy or too hard. Yeah. And baked fries have to be crispy on the outside and fluffy on the inside. You're quite the potato connoisseur. That just means you're so picky, Owen. You're way more picky, Ollie. You don't eat anything. I'm not picky. I just have standards, like Mommy. Ollie, do you like potatoes? Yeah, but I like tortillas better. Are you talking about the ones I've been making at home? Yeah, they're good. I can scoop my dinner into them and make tacos. That means I can eat with my hand when I play with my Legos. Ollie's talking about the cassava flour tortillas I've been making lately. These are gluten-free, grain-free, nut-free, and egg-free, which means basically everyone can enjoy them, unless you're going super low-carb or on a Whole30. So what's cassava flour, Michelle, and how is it different from tapioca starch? Don't they come from the same plant? They do both come from the cassava plant, which is also called yuca in Spanish. Yucca, though, is totally different from and unrelated to yucca. When the whole cassava plant is dried and made into a powder, that's what's called tapioca starch. It's usually used as a thickener in gluten-free recipes. On the other hand, cassava flour is made from just the root of the cassava plant. It's just the fiber and has a thicker texture than tapioca starch. More importantly, for tortilla-making purposes, it's way less gummy than tapioca starch. That's right. We tried a bunch of different ways to make grain-free tortillas, And from our experimentation, it was clear that tapioca starch produced tortillas that were way more gummy and rice-like. It sort of had the texture of Japanese mochi. Yeah, which is not right. (laughs) Tortillas made from cassava flour, on the other hand, have a consistency that's much more familiar. I won't say they're exactly like regular flour tortillas, but they're pretty darn similar in texture and taste. Ollie's pretty discriminating. He's picky. Okay, he's picky, but even he eats them. I like them a lot. The best thing is that they're easy to make. Jenny Hewlett of The Urban Poser has a great recipe for them on her site. And there's also a recipe online by Kara Reed of Fork and Beans. And she only uses cassava flour, salt, warm water, and olive oil to make them. I've modified Kara's recipe a bit to use ghee in place of the olive oil, but it's dead simple if you have a tortilla press. But you could just use a rolling pin to roll them out, right? Or just a heavy flat bottom skillet. Anyway, we've been having lots of taco parties over here these past few days. We even made spicy chicken tinga tacos the other night, and Ollie ate them right up. Because they were in his favorite tortillas. It's like he didn't even notice they were spicy. He scarfed them down in record time. That just means he took 45 minutes to eat instead of an hour and a half like usual. I eat it, but I just eat slowly. 
I'm just taking my time, Owen. I'm savoring my food. How about you, Michelle? What have you eaten recently that you want to share? Well, it's something we've eaten many times this week already, but not by itself. I'll go into all the grilled meaty delights that we ate at Meat Camp in the main course of this podcast. But there's a killer flavor booster that I learned about while I was there. Sofrito! When I say sofrito, I mean sofrito with two F's and two T's, which is different from sofrito with one F and one T. They're both variations of the same thing. But what I'm referring to is the Italian term for onions, carrots, and celery diced small and cooked in a bit of butter or oil until soft and just shy of brown. The other version is the Latin version that's found in Puerto Rican and Cuban cooking, which includes tomatoes or bell peppers, culantro, and whatever else your abuela throws into the mix. That's not confusing at all to have sofrito and sofrito just spelled slightly differently. Yeah, people were really mad on Instagram. Thinking you'd confuse one for the other? Yeah. And, you know, I understand. I think people feel very passionate about their sofrito because some versions are pureed but not cooked in advance and others are. But this particular Italian version that I learned about at Meat Camp is essentially a mirepoix. And it's the base of everything good you've ever eaten in the name of Italian food. It was used in almost every slow-cooked dish we ate at Meat Camp. And when I learned that you can make a big batch and freeze it in portion-controlled cubes, I had a total aha moment. It totally cuts down your cooking time because the sofrito, which normally takes an hour to make, is already done. Whipping up a big batch of sofrito was one of the first things I did when I came home from camp. And since then, I've been throwing a cube of sofrito in all my soups and stews this week. Not only that, I've been making traditionally slow-cooked stews and soups in an instant pot, so it's been even faster. The sofrito's really amped up the flavors in these super quick cooking braises. It's been a game changer. You know, I really have noticed the difference that the sofrito makes in your recipes. But here's the thing. The kids and I are now going to channel the commenters on social media. Ready? Here goes. Recipe? There really isn't a recipe. You get onions, carrots, and celery. The proportions of 60-20-20. That means 60% onions, 20% carrots, and 20% celery. Dice them small or blitz them in a food processor. Then you heat up a large pan with ghee or olive oil and slowly saute everything over medium-low heat for about an hour. Don't be skimpy with the oil. It won't turn out right if you just use one of those olive oil spray cans and mist your vegetables with a barely there sheen of oil. You know it's done when everything is tender and almost golden. All the flavors and natural sugar should concentrate and mellow out. It's perfection. Ta-da! That's the recipe! And as with all of our podcast episodes, if you want more information about any of the stuff we've been talking about, check out our show notes at nomnompaleo.com slash podcast archive. The main course. As I mentioned earlier, grilling and cooking over burning hot coals is not my strong suit. If I want grilled food, I delegate it to Henry. You know, I never really understood why you avoided grilling outside. I mean, we even have a gas grill, so it is super easy to use. I'm not sure. Maybe I was just weirded out about being in front of a flaming hot grill, or the imprecision of it all, or the danger element. I've seen the YouTube videos of grills exploding and stuff. You know, there are videos of pressure cookers blowing up too, but you totally love pressure cooking. I don't know. 
Fire just seems scarier and grilling just seems so difficult to control. But as I found out at meat camp, grilling's not that hard. The results taste amazing with minimal effort. And as with all skills, practice makes perfect, right? Yep. I've always had a bad habit of quitting when things get hard. When I was a kid, if something didn't come naturally to me, I would just quit. Like every other Asian American kid, I played the violin, but it was difficult, so I quit. I tried sports, but I wasn't great at it, so then I quit. Years ago, when I tried to grill something on my own on our old charcoal grill when you were still at work, I didn't know how to start the fire, so I just squirted all this lighter fluid on the charcoals, (laughs) and when I lit it, it basically resulted in a giant fireball. It was crazy, and so with every other thing in my life that's difficult, I decided to quit grilling. Maybe that's why we got a gas grill. Quitters never win, Mom. And winners never quit, like in video games. I never quit until I win or get the high score. I'm glad you're learning that. That's what I've been trying to teach you guys. Don't be a quitter like Mommy. I'm working on that myself. I'm still working on getting my unassisted pull-up, and I'm getting there. So anyway, back to meat camp. I found out about a women's-only meat camp run by Belcampo Meat Company when I was shopping at its Palo Alto butcher shop and I saw a cool postcard advertising it. I put it on Instagram with the caption, is this real life? And shortly after that, I got an invitation from Anya Fernald, the CEO of Belcampo, to attend as a guest of the camp. And given that you're such a huge fan of camping, did it take you a long time to figure out whether you really wanted to go? No, not at all. A chance to go hang out with awesome women and learn how to grill from experts at my favorite local sustainable meat purveyor? Of course I said yes especially after I found out it was more glamping than camping. Glamping is such a terrible word. But I love the concept. Glamping is a portmanteau of glamour plus camping, because that's the only way I'd ever do it. You know how I'm totally into glamour. Right. You're totally dripping with glamour all the time. Yep. I even got to drag along my talented photographer pal, Danielle C., to help me shoot pics of all the meaty happenings. Danielle's a fellow foodie and meat enthusiast, and she's also a fellow member of a weekly salon that I'm a part of. And unlike you, Henry, she's female, which meant she could actually come with me to Ladies Meat Camp. Ladies Meat Camp. What I actually think is funny is that you've always hated even the concept of camping. We've been together for, what, over 22 years now, since college, and you've never agreed to go camping with me. You once told me that camping is like being a hobo in the woods, and that you wouldn't vacation anywhere without indoor plumbing. Is indoor plumbing really too much to ask for? (laughs) But hey, I've learned my lesson. I'm all about camping now. Or glamping, anyways. What's also funny to me is that in a month, you'll be off to camp yet again. That's right. I'll be teaching cooking classes at Camp Nerd Fitness in Georgia in early October. I never went to sleepaway camp as a kid, so I'm making up for it now. Not fair, Mom. I want to go to Camp Nerd Fitness. Yeah, it's weird that mom is going to nerd camp. She's the only one in the family who's not even a nerd. Anyway, back to meat camp. I didn't know what to expect. I knew we'd be glamping on the grounds of Belcampo Farms, which is the company's incredible ranch at the foot of Mount Shasta way, way up in Northern California, near the Oregon border. As I said, I'd never gone camping. It's just not something my immigrant Chinese parents thought was a fun idea of vacation, so this was going to be an adventure with lots of firsts. So on a Thursday morning a few weeks ago, Daniel and I hopped on a shuttle at SFO to catch a five-hour ride to camp. 
we met two other campers on the shuttle, both of whom had flown in from far away. First, we met Rebecca Sullivan, who flew in from Adelaide, Australia. Her itinerary was insane. Rebecca bounced from Adelaide to Sydney, Sydney to Los Angeles, Los Angeles to San Francisco, and then she was stuck in a shuttle with us for five hours. That is dedication. Not only that, she told us that she found out about Meet Camp a week before and immediately booked this crazy trip on a whim. But Rebecca's a total pro. She's an accomplished cookbook author and TV presenter in Australia who's super passionate about sustainability and also happens to be really funny. So who else went with you to Meet Camp? On our shuttle, we also met Sadie Stein, who flew in from New York City. Sadie's a terrifically talented writer and contributing editor to the Paris Review. She's also stylish, sharp, and witty. In fact, all the women at camp were crazy accomplished. Everyone shared a love of food, and they all had incredibly impressive careers that were off the beaten track. There was a farmer from Maui who lived in a treehouse mansion near Hana, a marketing genius who worked at Apple before branching out on her own, an entrepreneur who has her own bone broth company, a couple of freelance writers who published in all my favorite publications like The New Yorker and Bon Appetit, a woman who's starting her own sustainable farm in Montana. And you! Yeah, I felt a little inadequate in comparison. And I was a little worried about how these strong women would all get along. But we ended up completely bonding. We shared personal stories every night after dinner, got our hair braided just like we were 12 years old at camp. It sounds weird coming from an introvert like me, but it was really special. We're already organizing a reunion. Okay, but what did you actually do at camp besides getting your hair braided? I mean, I read the article in the San Francisco Chronicle by Sarah Miller about your experiences at meat camp, so I know you guys did a lot more. Well, of course. It was a three-day, jam-packed, meat-intensive getaway for about a dozen of us that included butchering, fire-building, grilling, glamping, and yes, hair braiding too. Since it was the very first meat camp that Bel Campo had ever put together, I think they tried to cram in as much as possible to see what would work best. When we arrived, we found our tents set up directly on the grounds. They were really fancy, with elevated beds, solar lamps, Pendleton blankets. I checked out the bathroom situation, too, and there were two portable ones with showers, sinks, and toilets, and even air conditioning. A must for camping. For me, at least. After we got settled in, we met everyone at the beautiful red barn at the center of the farm and bonded over cocktails and grilled goodies. Our first dinner was al fresco on the barn lawn, where we enjoyed whole goat that was slow roasted on a spit and tons of different salads. That all sounds delicious, uh, but I take it wasn't all about eating. That first day, we ate a lot, and we all did a lot of icebreakers. We all went to bed in our tents, and we woke up early to get a head start on our jam-packed schedule filled with classes and activities and so much good food. We started every day before 6 a.m. and ended after 10 p.m., so you can imagine how much we got to do at camp. I asked Bronwyn Hannah Corpy, the president of Bel Campo, and one of our friendly instructors, what she and Anya wanted us to get out of meat camp, and here's what she said. What, what we were really aiming for is comfort. Like, A, of course, learning new skills, but B, one of the reasons we thought women would be so cool is because women aren't normally, they're like, oh, the guys are doing the barbecue, mm -hmm. right? And to give women, and so many women cook, but don't grill, which yep. is, and in California, that's especially crazy because mm -hmm. you can grill year round. So we really wanted to show people that it can be easy mm -hmm. um, and to, to make women take over the grill. I think I already know the answer from looking at your Instagram feed, but how did you fuel up every morning for all those activities? Breakfast was amazing, partly because I didn't have to cook it, but 
Every morning, we had bone broth heated in a cast iron cauldron over a campfire, eggs, handmade sausages, sometimes even stew. It was wonderful. But it wasn't all eating and socializing. We had the option of taking hands-on cooking workshops, which were scheduled all day. Our classes were taught by Anya, Bronwyn, or Seth Crabtree, who's in charge of all the retail products that Belcampo sells. We learned knife skills, basic butchering. Okay, pause there. Was this butchering class different from the one you took at 4505 Meats a couple of years ago in San Francisco? Oh, yeah. That one was an all-day, whole-beast butchery class that involved breaking down a whole side of beef. Something I probably won't be doing much at home, but the classes at Meat Camp were totally geared towards home cooks. Anya and Bronwyn showed us how to butcher small animals like a boss. Butcher meat. Um, and as you guys know, this isn't a butchery camp. This is really about cooking. But we thought it would be good for you all to get a basic lesson in the type of really kind of home skills that you're going to be using to be able to prepare meat. So we are going to be breaking a rabbit, a chicken, and deboning a leg of lamb. All of the food that we'll be breaking will then go with the chicken we're going to eat for lunch. And um, the rabbit will be making into a braise that's for lunch tomorrow. And the lamb will also be making into a braise for tomorrow. So once we do these three tasks, then we'll break into two groups and we'll cook off two different recipes, a braised rabbit and the braised um, lamb, and then go outside and have some lunch. So we're Don't you already know how to do things like spatchcocking? Yeah, but I learned new techniques. Butchering in general is much easier than most people think. You just follow the natural seams in the muscle using your knife and just pulling the meat apart with your hands. The boning knife is used sparingly and really only to flex around and underneath bones. You should never have to force your knife to crunch through bone. Taking the butchery class inspired me to buy a boning knife so I can practice at home. After all, buying whole animals is always cheaper than buying parts. Which knife did you get? I got the one that Cook's Illustrated recommended. It's a Victorinox 6-inch boning knife. But the Belcampo folks also confirmed what I've always said about kitchen shears. They're a fantastic kitchen tool for home cooks. So did you really need that boning knife? As Marie Kondo says, it sparks joy. So yes. (laughs) What else did you learn about grilling at camp? We learned how to build a fire with kindling. Annie even showed us how to make smoking hot coals out of wood and how to tend the coals. So basically, we've got two types of wood. We have kindling over there. Um, there's a box full of lighters. Uh, there's a small amount of paper right over there as well, next to the lighters. Um, and then we have some bigger wood here. Your goal is going to be, and within two hours, you'll have a fire that looks pretty much like that. And then you'll be able to give it a nice walk. And you get coals that come through. That's what you're looking for. That's the fun part. Now, once you get the coals coming out, you'll be able to scoop them up and move them around and create your cooking zone. Okay? So that's I learned grilling basics, like how to cook over hot coals instead of over open flames. In other words, you learned how to be patient and let the flames die down first before putting the meat on. Yeah, I know. Grilling 101. They also taught us how to use our senses, how to put our hands over the grill to figure out the hot areas of the grill and how to use our sense of touch to judge when the meat is actually done cooking. So you no longer feel the need to buy an infrared meat thermometer to use with our outdoor grill, right? Probably not. I still love meat thermometers, but I can now go out in the wild and cook meat without a ton of tools. Plus, Meat Camp taught me to trust my instincts rather than relying solely on gadgets. That said, meat ain't cheap, so I still use meat thermometers as insurance against screwing up my meat. They're all representative of the cuts that you just saw Seth cooking. 
Um, we have a few different types of salts for you, a thicker one. The best thing about cooking at meat camp was that we all got to pick a dream cut to grill and share. I picked a boneless ribeye, because hey, why not? If you get your pick of Belcampo meat, pick the best. What else did you learn? Other workshops included wine tasting and cured meat pairings, sausage making, poultry grilling, braising, how to make stocks and bone broth, and even a cocktail demo. And it wouldn't be camp without physical activities, so we also did hiking, yoga, Pilates, and kettlebell classes. Oh, and besides the cooking classes, I was also excited to get a tour of the ranch and see how the animals are raised and butchered on the farm. Bell Campo was a lot of things. A farm, a processing plant, neighborhood butcher shops, and restaurants. It's a completely vertical operation where they manage and control every step of the process from farm to table. What unites everything they do is their singular commitment to provide folks with delicious, organic, and humanely raised meat you can feel good about buying and eating. That's not easy to do, especially in drought-ridden California. Yeah, but all the animals are super calm there and 100% raised on pasture. They've consulted with the world's foremost experts on everything from humane slaughtering practices to environmental sustainability. Everyone we met who works there, from Anya the co-founder to folks in the slaughterhouse, are proud of their practices, even if it makes them the weird organic folks in a traditional farming county. I love Bel Campo, and visiting the farm, seeing the animals, tasting the difference, I definitely left as an even bigger Bel Campo evangelist than I was before going to meet camp. Sounds like you learned a ton, but what are some of the key takeaways from meat camp? Oh man, there's so many. Let's start with salting. The main lesson is to salt your meat liberally. And don't be afraid to use your senses. Hold your hand above the grill to feel if it's hot. If you hover your hand six inches above the surface of the grill and you can't stand the heat, you know it's high heat. And when the meat's almost done cooking, touch to see if it's ready. I guess the biggest takeaway though was to just do it and don't be paralyzed by your fear. Instead of being freaked out by the prospect of grilling, I'm more inspired than ever to get out into the outdoors and break out the grill. That's why as soon as I got home from meat camp, I immediately fired up our big green egg in the backyard and started grilling up the sausages we'd made at meat camp. At the end of meat camp, I asked Anya what surprised her the most about the experience, and here's what she said. Uh, the passion that gets ignited in people. You know, there was one person here who was like, you know, I've never heard the word braise before this camp. And, and then there was other people that were, you know, passionate cooks or professional cooks. So it just was the level of engagement from everybody. And the fact that, you know, that a lot of people have been wanting to cook this way or cook more or grill more. And I just didn't really know the basics. And I feel like I've given uh, through the camp a chance for people to kind of develop a new passion, develop a new skill. Personally, I love grilling, but we've all heard about the health risks associated with charring meat on the grill. I remember in the early days of us going paleo, you and I read a lot of stuff about how meat should be cooked low and slow. So given all the research that's come out, what do you think about the cancer risk associated with grilling meat? Dun, dun, dun. That's definitely an interesting issue. And there are definitely some valid points about it. Because way back when I was studying nutrition and food science at Cal, and I'm talking about over 20 years ago, I had a professor named Dr. Leonard Bieldenis. And he was a well-respected food toxicology researcher at Berkeley. And in one of our classes, he taught us about the dangers of grilling a hamburger. In fact, he told us it was one of the worst things you can do. His point was that heterocyclic amines, or HCAs, form in protein-rich foods when cooked at very high temperatures, like when you're cooking with your backward barbecue grill. 
Then, polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, or PAHs, form when fat drips and burns on the coal, creating smoke. As the smoke circulates around your meat, those compounds can get deposited on whatever you're grilling, and then you consume it. So in other words, Dr. Bielden has taught us that grilling a nice fatty burger can cause cancer compounds in two ways. Eek! Eek indeed. Yeah. Dr. Bielden was even hired as a consultant by Chef Alice Waters to help design a grill at her world-famous restaurant Chez Panisse in Berkeley. He advised her to build a grill where the coals would be arranged in a circle around the perimeter of the grill so the fat would never drip on the coals and form polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons. That is hardcore. And I haven't even mentioned advanced glycation end products, or AGEs. When steak is browned, when sugar is caramelized, or when you get a nice crust going on a roast, you're essentially creating AGEs via the Maillard reaction. Maillard reactions make for a lot of deliciousness, though. Yes, but the counter-argument is that while most AGEs actually form endogenously inside our body, dietary AGEs appear to have some negative effects on their own. So back in the day, Dr. Bieldenis told us how we should tell all our loved ones to only use low heat to cook our red meat. I took this to heart and it was one of the reasons I basically went semi-vegetarian in college. As we discussed in previous episodes of this podcast, that lasted until I started paleo five years ago. So what changed your mind about grilling and eating meat? It's not that the scientists are wrong. And if it's your one and only goal in life to be absolutely clean in the way you eat, I can't tell you that grilling is the optimal cooking method. But my philosophy is this. Just live your life. Ultimately, healthy eating is about striking a balance. You can sear your steaks and still live a long and healthy life. Just don't grill as your exclusive cooking method and make sure you also consume healthy plant-based foods with your grilled meats. You can throw some chicken thighs on the grill, but to mitigate the risks that come with grilling, make sure they're marinated in an acidic marinade, like one made with lemon juice which has the added bonus of tasting great. Marinating beef for one hour has been shown to reduce AGE formation by over 50%, and marinades can cut heterocyclic amine formation in meat by about 90%. Also, don't overcook your meat on the grill. Medium rare is the best tasting anyway. Lastly, remember to rotate and switch up your cooking methods. Don't just grill all the time. Mix it up with some gentler cooking methods like steaming, poaching, boiling, braising, simmering, Baking, pressure cooking, crock potting, all of those are good methods. I'm glad we can still grill because it's fun to cook outside. And when you're cooking in the kitchen, it's really loud. I can't hear the TV when you're banging around. You should just be grateful I feed you at all. Michelle, what's your crush of the week? I have two this week. Right now, I'm totally crushing on the Primal Palette Spice Blends that our pals Bill and Haley put together. I love it when folks in the paleosphere branch out and create their own products, especially when they have super high standards. When Bill and Haley first revealed that they were coming out with their own line of super fresh spices and blends, I was lucky enough to try them out, including my absolute favorites, which are the Adobo Blend, Meat and Potatoes Blend, and Barbecue Rub. I have to say the names are kind of a misnomer because you can put them on anything and it'll still taste delicious. We received one of the beta batches and I'm already completely out of the adobo blend and the meat and potatoes blend. At this point, I think I only have one third of the barbecue blend left and I've been putting it pretty much on everything I make. The blends are perfect for garbage stir fries, crispy eggs, roasted vegetables, you name it. 
And believe me, I'm not just saying this because I know Bill and Haley. These spice blends are really good. Like the dull flavors of spice blends that have been sitting on store shelves for too long, the Primal Palette blends are freshly ground and you can definitely taste the difference. You said, though, that you had two crushes this time. What's your other crush of the week? Oh, my other crush is Fat Fudge by Mary Shenouda of Paleo Chef. Mary's been an inspiration to me because she works incredibly hard and has impeccable taste. That extends to Fat Fudge, too, which is a recipe she's shared on her website and something she makes for her clients. Now she's making and selling it online in little handy packets that you can take on the go. Fat Fudge, and that's fat with a PH, is what Mary calls performance food. All the ingredients were chosen carefully to provide sustained energy, fight inflammation, and improve memory and focus, among other things. Even though it has the word fudge in it, don't be fooled into thinking it's just another paleofied dessert. Fat fudge is not really sweet. I don't, I think it's barely sweet. There's a little bit of honey in it. But it is tasty and filling, and I love to eat it directly from the fridge on busy mornings because it helps me focus and get stuff done. Kids, how about you? What's your crush of the week? I can tell you my not crush of the week. It's going back to school now that summer's over. Yeah, I wish if it was still summer vacation, then we can stay up super late. And not have homework. And go to summer camp. Isn't there anything you like about school that's better than summer vacation? No, not really. Kids aren't supposed to like school more than summer, Mom. That's not the way the world works. Facebook asks, I'm a single dad, so I'm in charge of my first graders' meals. Do you have any tips and tricks for packing kids' lunches for the school year? How do your kids feel about having weird lunches? What do you use to keep the lunches cold? What a timely question. Wait a second. Did Matt just call our kids' lunches weird? Yeah, but I think he just means that kids will think that anything that isn't advertised on TV commercials is weird. Anyway, as you just heard, our kids are now back in school. And if you're new to our blog, Nom Nom Paleo, you might not be aware that for the past four years, we've collaborated with our pals at LunchBots, the coolest stainless steel lunch containers in the world, to come up with ideas for inventive, simple, and nourishing meals that can be packed for school, work, or wherever you need to go. In fact, we just finished posting this year's series of lunches, and as soon as we get around to it, We'll be putting together a mega roundup paleo pack lunchboxes post that will contain every single one of the lunches we've prepared as part of this multi-year series. But when you take a look at the lunch ideas on my blog, there are a couple of things to keep in mind. First of all, I always make the point that these lunches look way fancier than the ones we typically pack for Owen and Ollie. That's because the ones on the site are meant to be inspiring. We take photos of fancy lunches with the hope that you can look at them with your kiddos. and Maybe he or she will point to one and say, I like that part of that lunch. The most important thing is to pack stuff that your kid will actually eat. Give them a say in what you're packing or the lunch is likely to end up in the trade box or the trash anyway. Don't stress out if the lunches are not perfectly paleo. As long as you feed your kiddo a healthy breakfast before he or she leaves for school and they come home to a nourishing supper, your child won't keel over if a little box of juice or a gluten-free treat makes its way into their lunch. Of course, if the whole lunch is refined carbs and sugar, That's probably a different story. Totally. Just make sure there's some healthy protein and fat and some veggies and fruit in the box, and then don't sweat it too much. It's also okay if your kids want to eat the same lunch over and over again. Ollie always gets cold scrambled eggs because that's what he insists on having. 
Owen is way more flexible. Sometimes he has leftover chicken, veggies, or even slices of ham and little squares of cheese. What about Matt's question about keeping lunches cold? We use lunchbox stainless steel containers to pack our kids' food, so I do three primary things to keep their lunches cold. First of all, I refrigerate the containers the night before. Sometimes, if I have my act together, which is rarely, the lunches will already be packed and in the fridge before I go to bed. Otherwise, I'll toss the empty container in the fridge so that when I go to pack the lunches in the morning, the food goes into chilled containers. Next, I use thermally insulated lunch bags that keep food on the chilly side. I recently bought some insulated bags made by Packet and they have the coolants built into the bag. You just store them in the freezer until you're ready to use them. And if you don't have one of those types of bags, you can just use a regular insulated lunch bag and toss in a reusable frozen ice pack. It's important to remember that lunch bags are not refrigerators. This is probably very obvious to most folks, but we sometimes get questions about this. So remember, no matter how fancy they are, your lunch bags are not going to somehow lower the temperature of the food you put in them. Same with lunch containers. The food in containers have to start off cool. Sticking something that's warm or at room temperature into an insulated lunch bag won't magically make it chilly. It needs to start off cool. Just like me. I started off cool and I'm going to stay cool. You're not cool. You're the opposite of cool. Yeah, because I'm hot stuff. Oh, brother. Yeah, I'm your hot brother. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, can we stop now? getting really bored so that's it for this week this podcast was recorded and produced at nom nom paleo world headquarters also known as the dining room in our house located in the heart of silicon valley 50 feet from jeremy lynn's parents house the nom nom paleo theme song is by mark bartels with additional music by big o and proletaire this podcast is supported by thrive market our favorite online destination for wholesome products at wholesale prices Pay one low membership price and you can shop from over 3,000 healthy, natural products, always 25 to 50% off retail, delivered straight to your door. Right now, if you go to nomnompaleo.com slash thrive, you'll get two months free membership at Thrive Market and an additional 20% off your first order. And in case you're wondering, unless stated otherwise, none of the brands or products mentioned sponsor this podcast. We just talk about the stuff we love. If you like this podcast, we have two favors to ask. First, you can visit us at nomnompaleo.com for show notes, and you can also find hundreds of step-by-step recipes, kitchen tips, snarky writing, and more. We also have an iPad app and a cookbook. More information at nomnompaleo.com. And last but not least, don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. It helps us to get a sense as to what you like. Join us next time for more Nom Nom Paleo podcasts.